going on everybody welcome back to the backside ground balls podcast super excited for this episode uh, i know for our loyal listeners out there you're probably like dang they're pumping out the content right now so hopefully you're you're keeping up with the podcast and, and listening to as many as you can but we have a really special guest today uh minor league free agent aiden mcintyre who's formerly with the oakland a's one of collins teammates um so we're going to get into a lot of things he's got a pro day this weekend so we're definitely going to preview that and talk about his journey as a whole being you know coming from a d2 school all the way to the minor league so Aiden how we doing today excited to have you on yeah doing really well appreciate you guys having on and looking forward to uh, getting into it of course of course and and obviously I mentioned it's 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 crazy to think that 75% of this podcast is just D2 guys which is just crazy to think about (laughs) that and only two of them have been to the professional rank so Dan and I are the outliers here the real outliers so you know, talk a little bit about that journey. I mean, there's two there's two things I, w- I want to know. One is obviously th- that's such a cool journey to go from D2 to, to professional baseball. But how good is California Division II baseball? Because I know what uh, Mid-Atlantic Division II baseball looks like, and I doubt it looks like <laughs> California Division II baseball. Yeah, D2 uh, California baseball is extremely competitive. And it's um, so there's actually two Division II leagues in California. Um, so... The league I was in was the Pac West. I was at Holy Names University, which actually this spring is their last semester of baseball. The school's getting shut down. Um, oh. So that school is no more, but there's actually a, a school going from NAIA joining that league. Um, but that division, I mean, it had, at the time I was going there, pretty much I had, uh, out of Juco, I had one to two offers and really only one offer and ended up being Holy Names. And the reason I wanted to go there was pretty much if I wasn't good enough at the time to pitch at one of the big like D2 schools in that conference, um, the next best thing was pitching against them because my goal is still to get drafted and to get drafted, you need to be seen. So I figured if I could pitch against some of those teams and throw well enough to get signed, then that would be pretty much my next best option. So, um, But at the time, I mean, when I committed there, it was Cal Baptist, um Dixie State, Point Loma, Azusa. Um just a, like I wanna say that my first year there there was the D two top twenty five and I think there was five teams from our conference in that. And it was I mean it was pretty stacked. In our school, I mean, we weren't good. Just being honest. Like we weren't <laughs> good either year I was there. So it was um it was a very competitive conference and yeah, I mean, for guys who, you know, look at only D1 as being, like, very competitive, there, I mean, a lot of those guys with that D2 were guys who all could have played D1 as well. Gosh, quite the journey. No, that's that's awesome. And because and we hear so much on the East Coast about, you know, obviously, like, you just imagine what D2 baseball would be, like, 
like you said, it's, it's probably a bunch of division one baseball players. So, you know, and, and you name all those schools and those are all schools that we very well know over, <laughs> over in, in, in this area. And you hear a lot about, and so it's kind of awesome that to hear you say that. So kind of run down the draft process as a whole, obviously you had to have some success against those really good teams. So what did that look like? And, and how did that come about where, where you're getting some draft interest from pro teams? Yeah, it kind of came about um, pretty late. So, I mean, overall, like my junior year, I was fine. I was like mid 80s. Um, I was just like competitive uh, pitching. I wasn't very good at it. Um, but I threw like fine that year. And then I went and trained at Driveline, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. But then I had kind of a big velo jump. So, my going into my senior year, I finally kind of cracked like 90, 92. Um, and my first start of the season was against Cal Baptist at Cal Baptist, which I had, I want to say it was in like February or March. And I'd pretty much like marked that on my calendar the day it came out. Cause it was like, that was pretty much my shot. Um, so the dude who pitched for Cal Baptist was seen as a top 100 draft pick for that season. So he was like their Friday night guy. And I knew that, and I was going to pitch against him. So that was kind of like my shot in my mind. Uh, the first shot at least. And um, we ended up that game pretty much kind of put me on the map. I ended up being for the first time in my life throwing 94 and I pretty much sat 94 on just adrenaline. Um, and so we ended up losing. I think I gave up like one run and then I left with two guys on. They both scored, which is kind of how the whole year went. But um, that kind of put me on the map. And I think from there, it was just kind of like up and down. The whole season really wasn't what I was hoping it would be. I knew I either needed to have, like, amazing stats um, or I pretty much just needed to throw hard and strike a lot of people out. That was the other option. And so that was the one that ended up getting me drafted. So my overall numbers, I think I had, like, a maybe a five and a half, possibly higher. I'm not, honestly not sure. Um, but I think I punched out. I led the league with, like, 105 in, like, 70 innings. Um, and that was – pretty much it that was what got me on the map and i didn't have a single um questionnaire until i want to say it was right before my second to last uh, college start ever so that was when i got my first one and then after my senior day which i threw really well was like pitcher of the week just a really good way to close my career um i think i got like 20 after that so it went from pretty much like nothing to everything all at once so my gosh yeah that's insane and a couple of times you've kind of talked about your mindset and we we talk about a lot and trevor and trev and i specifically talking about the mindset on the mound what pitchers have to do in your mindset you've mentioned a couple of times how you wanted to go compete if you couldn't play for one of those teams you wanted to compete against them and you talk about that start where you know you're pitching against a guy who's you know <clears throat> going to be a top 100 pick where does that mindset come from is that something you always had is that something that you developed because you were you know, you went to a couple of JUCOs and then you found yourself at a D2. How did you develop that mindset? I think to some extent, I kind of joke about it now, but I think a lot of it was like real confidence comes from work ethic and training and pretty much knowing that you're prepared. That's in my opinion, that's what real confidence comes from. But then there's also just like fake confidence. And that's pretty much what I just had an absolute shit ton of. Um, I wasn't working extremely hard at baseball. I was like your average JUCO baseball player. I mean, I was like a very much a team player 
like was hung, hanging out with everybody. It wasn't like I was working particularly harder, but um, I think during my time in Juco, I kind of just figured out how to be competitive and almost like out competitive my stuff because like I just wasn't very good enough. But we kind of uh, joke about it. One of the guys who caught me in Juco was like, oh, kind of like, like you're the meanest person possible throwing 83 miles an hour, <laughs> like pitching. And to some extent, the whole, if you don't actually have like the level you need to be at, you obviously the real thing is to hopefully work towards it and develop it. But the other option is like, you need to kind of uh, have a little chip on your shoulder or something that's going to give you just enough to be able to compete. Um, even if maybe you're not fully ready yet. Sweet. So if everybody listening, uh, I don't know if everybody knows, but Aiden and I were roommates back in Lansing. Just a quick little fun fact. Oh yeah. Roommate. But uh, you talked about the whole, with the mindset, with your idea of, having preparation and getting prepared i think a lot of the stuff we like to talk about here is having a really good routine each day having set plans each week going in like win every single day so Mm -hmm. then by the time you get to you know we'll talk about it later but you have a pro day coming in two days you're when you've won probably every single day for months now yeah and now you have a bigger win to put to do on saturday i think uh you've mentioned about driveline i want to talk about how like how you use that preparation and your mindset brought into that and how that has helped you develop over the years. Yeah, that was, uh, I'd say the way pretty much what I credit driving with was being the first, um, place where I kind of learned that like how high level and how pretty much intense it needed to be. Um, and how to develop a plan and how to like have a routine and kind of, I think that that was really where I, um, first, kind of like it, I don't know, it clicked for me. Like I've obviously every coach you've ever had is telling you about routines and plans, but like that was the first time where it was very much like, this is in my own hands. My career is going to end in a year if I don't like go all in. And that was after my junior year of college. Cause I remember I had a bunch of buddies who were seniors and like, they all like kind of the whole, like wanted to play, but like weren't going to play at the next level. So they're all like getting ready for regular jobs. And I was just like, I got a year. I'm like, I got to at least try, you know, kind of go all in for this um so i think the like kind of creating plans and routines now is kind of funny that now i think um a lot of people or maybe like guys who i meet now i think maybe have a harder time imagining me not being like this but like i mean five years ago i wasn't at all six years ago i wasn't um so i think a lot of it is just kind of the whole like actually feeling the pressure of time and from that like just knowing that there just really isn't a lot of time for certain things that you want. And like, if you actually want it, that does include everything from sleep to, you know, like just like little things. I mean, taking care of yourself, it's not going out like, and kind of like, I think the thing is you can always be more, more detailed. You can always be more dialed in. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if either of you guys, any of you saw it, but it was on Twitter it was a uh, JJ, uh, Reddick, the NBA basketball mm-hmm. player, talking about his yep. off-season routine, and like that video made me sick because it's kind of this like the same thing of like that's pretty much what I've done for the last six months, and it's him talking about how in depth his routine got, and even watching that, it's kind of like it's pretty cool. Like there's even higher levels to this that uh, guys create to be able to kind of do what they want, and especially to stay in the league for like a long time. It's pretty impressive. How so? You go into that environment at Driveline, obviously looking for like you have a specific goal of okay, I want to be a I want to be a professional baseball player. But you're kind mm-hmm. of on this path to go through D two, and then you're going to Driveline. 
how did that change kind of who you were as a pitcher? Because I'm sure when you got there, I don't know how data-driven you were when you got there, were you at all? And then when you got there, I'm sure they were throwing a bunch of data at you and new terminology. So how did that kind of change who you were as a pitcher and what you know type of things you were looking for in yourself to work on your game? I think it just made me curious. And I think by doing that, like, or I think I was curious and that environment was like, it's like a, kind of like the whole, I mean, being a sponge, everybody there is like working on stuff. And some of it's the whole, like, some of it is very like data driven and very like, but some of it's just kind of like funny stuff. It's like the old guys throwing with two different shoes to see if like, you know, if you have a certain type of ankle support versus no, like, so I think it's just being like curious is the main thing that was kind of what started developing. Cause that's even now, I mean, I'm very, I'm still very curious. I guess I'm still holding on to that. And that's where, and that's where I think for a lot of people who maybe don't like data or like the whole, like the idea of it, I think it's the whole thing is like, it's been around forever. Like guys throwing 80 years ago had spin rate. They had like break. They, so all of this was here. And so now it's like, if you don't want to utilize it, that's okay. But like, you're not going to have a place in the game. And so for me, that's not like, that's just the way it is. It's the whole, like, that's, that's your option now. So if you don't want to be open to it, I really do think you're going to end up cutting your own career short. So it's not like you need to be someone who's, like, all in and only believes in it. But understanding how, like, understanding it is the easiest way to become a better player. Because that's, like, you can easily make bigger bigger jumps than rather than having, like, you know, an IDAR or someone just looking at your ball and saying what it does. So... Talk, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about the data and, and specifically what's some of the stuff that you kind of grabbed onto because every individual is different about what data helps them or what resources help them. What are some of the things mm-hmm. that in that time frame at Driveline, even over the last six months as well, you can kind of combine your, you know, your whole time that you spent at Driveline. What are kind of the data points? What are the, you know, things that have really helped you develop into the picture you are today? Uh, when I first got there, and so that was 2017, driveline was, like, still not common. It was not mm-hmm. looked upon well. It was not, like, it was very much, like, kind of this isolated thing. Um, but at the time, like, I didn't know anything about data. I didn't know. We, nobody was talking about spin rate then. No one was talking about anything. Um, so uh, in my career, like, I had, um, like, always thrown a four-seam fastball. I just never threw a sinker. And the whole, like, I kind of knew that I would, like, I had a lot of success throwing up in the zone, but I didn't know why. I just thought it was maybe it looked, you know, it looked funky, just, like, it looked faster than it was. Um, And so it really wasn't until I got there, and it's, like, they're, like, well, yeah, you have, like, a high vertical break fastball, so pretty much you're going to induce more swing and misses at the top of the zone rather than the middle to the bottom because of the way the ball appears to a hitter. So it wasn't, and so I remember that, like taking it back to college my senior year and being like, I, I'm going to walk the world, but I don't really care. I need to like pitch up in the zone. <laughs> and it really did take me like years to figure out how to pitch up in the zone. I mean, mm-hmm. Colin wasn't around in 2019. I walked the entire league as a starter <laughs> in 2019 because I was going to die on the hill of pitching up in the zone. I didn't I care about- if. Yeah, if I'm wrong, I think you led the league in like walks, but also in strikeouts or something. Yeah, I did both. You were, yeah, you did both. <laughs> yeah, I think I led. It was in 19. I was a starter, and honestly, should have probably been in the bullpen. I was already 22, 20. I was already 23, and they made me a starter, and I did really well. Like, I mean, the first half was all star. Had like a two flat, 
like 40 innings in, had like 80 punches, like was on cruise control. I had like 40 walks. And so it was like, I I think I'd only given up like 20 hits. But, and then the whole second half of the season, I had a a two-month stretch. My numbers evened out really quick. But I think it was the whole, again, like knowing, it's, it's just information. Like data is information. It's just knowing and it makes you, the more you know, it's more valuable you are. So that was like where that's now a reason why other teams think I'm valuable. But in 2018, nobody cared. And like my coach was going to lose his mind because I was like going to throw at the top of the zone. Which if you've ever wondered, umpires don't call many strikes there. (laughs) So it really is like living and dying by it. But for me, it was just like information and I've just kind of grasped onto that. So it's the same thing now. Like I'm still throwing my fastball at the top of the zone, but now I know how to do it. And I also know when to go down and not just like, so it's almost like this whole, you have to overcorrect. I think when you get your data, you kind of figure out how to like use it best. And most likely you should push past. Like if you have a very good, uh, I don't know, off-speed pitch and your fastball is trash, you should probably try throwing 80% off-speed. And even if you go too Mm -hmm. far and now you're throwing too much off-speed, at least you know. But just like, just not, just kind of following rules because the rules are kind of just generically there. To me, I've never been, I guess, a very systematic player. Like, I don't, I don't know. I like doing my own thing. It's even the whole, like, I'm not, like, I'm going to wear whatever shirt I want to wear. I don't want to wear a team shirt type of thing if we're in warm-ups because it's just dumb. But it's not like I'm against being a team player. I just think that there's a lot of areas that the rules aren't actually written. They're just kind of there and people think they're there. But, like, you can just do whatever you want. We're grown men playing a game. Well, I think to me that, I mean, that excites me because I think that for me, like one of the biggest things with player development, especially when it comes to pitchers is like realizing that everybody kind of does have to cut their own path, right? Because you're never going to have two of the same pitcher. And we always throw out the term cookie cutter and stuff. When you really think about it, like you can't have two people. It's not physically possible to have two people throw the same exact pitches. So guys are going to, one, they're going to be able to do what they do best and two they're gonna have to get to that point their own way right like for you it's it's just Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go full send and throw fastballs at the top of the zone and if i can just a little bit of the nitty-gritty here what what was a cue or how did you learn how to throw up there because that's a really hard thing to do and and even when i was coaching like working with some of my guys who had fastballs with really good v-break like teaching them to do that because they all thought you know coming up through high school and stuff, throwing a fastball at the top of the zone meant throwing it like it under someone's chin to get a crazy swing and a miss. And it's like, no, yeah. we need to pitch at the top of the strike zone. Well, how did you get to that yeah. point to learn how to pitch up there? I'm being honest. I mean, a lot of it was just pretty much closing my eyes and throwing it as hard as I possibly could. And, uh, kinda, strike. Yeah. Like pretty much just trying to figure it out. Um, and I guess not being like, I think the, I, like for me, it's also different. Like I throwing up in the zone is pretty natural. Like I didn't have a really hard time doing it. Um, but the whole finding the actual zone instead of mm-hmm. just being like sporadically spraying. Cause that's, I mean, that's pretty much in 19. That was kind of how I pitched. It was like just so sporadic. And it was because I didn't have any, my mechanics just weren't very repeatable. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't repeat. And so I was kind of all over the place, but, I mean, a lot of it's just trial and error, but at some point, I mean, for me, it's like pretty much just moving the entire zone up is what I've talked to people about. So if you're used to pitching at the bottom of the zone, you just need to move the entire zone in your mind. 
So if you're used to pitching like a shoebox at the bottom, you need to take everything up and pretty much just train from there. Um, So like even, even now, like it's one of the things that I'm working on is being out there at the bottom of the zone to just steal strikes because you can't only throw at the top of the zone at the big league level because guys are too good. But pretty much for me, like I'm never going to spike a fastball. So for me to throw at the bottom of the zone, I have to think about spiking a fastball pretty much. Which for most guys, like they'll just spike fastballs every once in a while, but like I won't. Like I really have to actually, to throw strikes at the bottom, I have to think about hitting home plate. So pretty much like moving the entire zone was, I think, what helped me the most. And also just like, yeah, I mean, just trying hard, I think to some yeah. extent. Like that was kind of where if I put my effort into throwing hard, that's usually where the ball was going to go. Look. So you talk about like all this, like your driveline development, bringing all this data. I felt like I was the same way in college. Like my coach at the time, Matt Hobbs, we talk about a lot on here, but uh, he's sitting there with the iPad and the track man wraps it. I'm like, what is all this data? Like yeah. I still had, I still had no clue like what it all was yeah. like up and up until probably instructs of 2020. Like I was still like learning it, like still had no idea. And I'm uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I still think you still like teach and plan lessons for kids and stuff on the side. And you've helped me a lot on my time just with, you know, the vertical breaks and what pitch design, like all those type of things. How has like setting those plans up and coaching those young kids, how has that possibly made you a better player trying to teach kids in a way and taking that into your aspect in the playing field? I think it is uh, similar to kind of what, uh, Dan said as far as like every pitcher is different and the thing I think I like most about pitching is like and what I I guess what I recommend to guys especially younger guys is the more weird you can be the more likely you're going to be successful like the more um, like kind of like the whole what you do well like what makes you good and do that a lot and like really overdo that almost so it's the whole like if a guy throws from a weird slot and hides the ball really well like is it in our best intention to you know, clean it up, clean like his mechanics and make him, you know, throw two miles an hour harder, but he loses all of his deception. And so that's the whole, like, I think looking at pitching as um, a very individual like case where everyone's different and you're different each year. So like me as a pitcher, I try to be different every single season. And the thing that drives me absolutely nuts is that people don't understand like, and this is like for minor leaguers or big leaguers. A lot of those like, guys are just good enough that they don't have to evolve at all in the off season. So they throw their season, they come back the exact same person. And for the guys who are at the big league level doing that, that's cool. Like they're good enough to be able to do that. That seems super fun. I would love to do that. Not working hard is way super tight, like so much cooler. But the thing of like, if you really want to actually make it a career and this is kind of the funny thing is I'm sure there's guys who have, you know, maybe six-year careers. That could have been 10 years. But for me, like, when I'd say making a career, like, I might only get one year. But for me, like, that was as big of a win as maybe them getting four more years. Mm-hmm. So it, everyone's, like, their own case. So looking at pitchers as all individual and how can you pretty much maximize whatever someone does well and then how can you try to, I guess, like, limit their errors or pretty much figure out how to continually each year make them better. Because I think a lot of coaches it's the whole they you know they especially in the minor leagues they want to pretty much get their stamp on you and i and again this isn't at any coach in particular but every coach you have the ones who usually want to make 
like an impact, they may push and like want you to do this or want you to do that. And if it works, like they kind of get credit for it. But if it doesn't work and you get released, they still have a job. And so I've tried to talk to guys about that because it's not, it's not even wrong on the coaches and your job is to coach, but going about it in a way where you're not actually have like a precise plan of like, Hey, your sinker, you throw a dead zone heater. Let's give you a sinker or a forcing, which like, do you pronate? Do you supinate? What do you do better? How do we instantly try to make your fastball better rather than just being like, maybe we just throw it like in this place. And it's like, well, that's not improving the player at all. And now if they get hit around, they get banged and their job's done. That's what I like from college. Like when I first got there, like my coach, like I had, obviously I'm a quad dominant, like kind of short stride, like arms late kind of pitcher. And I remember getting there and he's like, let's just work with what you have. Like he barely tinkered with anything. He was like, Basically, of what I'm assuming he thought was like, you got here for a reason. Let's not try and mess it up in yeah. a way. Like, I think it's the same way with pro guys. Like, they get there for a reason. There's a reason that they're there. Yeah. Sometimes you don't have to mess with them. Sometimes they're already no. ready to be, yeah. to, to move up through the system just like in mm-hmm. a steady way, progress them, you know, get more experience at each level. But I like that point of like having an individual plan for pitching. It's hard to put all everybody under one umbrella because nobody yeah. is the. You put every pitcher in a minor league system, they're all going to be different. There's something's yeah. going to be different. And I think I love that about just having a set plan for each person. Even though it's tedious, it can be hard. If you want to be the best player, you want to be the best coach, that's what you have to yeah. do. And that is why that's why a lot of organizations don't do a good job is because it's hard. And not actually hard. It's just a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And so it's way easier to just be like, here's the plan. And honestly, like, it's not even a knock, but the teams who do the best, it's a lot more individualized. It's a lot more detail oriented on like certain people. And that's why those teams keep getting better. And other teams are confused why they they keep having injuries and they keep like not developing early rounders and stuff like that. And it's just because, well, it's like you're giving out like the whole, like if you give out a lifting or a running program to a guy who's 170 pounds and throws 98 miles an hour, he doesn't need to run. You got a guy who's overweight and is throwing slower because he's overweight. Like he should. This is like the whole like, individually, but some guys also, if they're bigger, they just throw harder and they don't need to run. So mm-hmm. it's. I think a lot of it, in my opinion, that's. Uh, I mean, I guess how I look at pitching too is like it can just kind of be whatever like a player needs it to be. If a player likes to run, if they feel good, some of this also is all placebo stuff. Like pitchers, we pretty much lie to ourselves. Like, that's what it is. Like, it's the whole, you're on game 100. Like, no, you don't feel good. But, like, you don't have an option. And so I kind of talk to guys, that's even the line between, like, injury and, like, just being sore, like, you know, fatigued is, like, I mean, if it's your day to pitch and, like, you have to wake up and pitch and you have to tell yourself you feel good. And this is even all, like, kind of, like, why I don't like certain things like whoop anymore. I think it's a great training tool, but it's not a competitive tool. If you're wearing blue and then you wake up in the morning and someone tells you you have to go fight somebody and you're in the red, like you're mentally <laughs> going to wear that. I just think it's a terrible like start. I think it's a good training like tool. That this year. I had yeah. that this year. I wake up and I was like 38. I'm like, I'm supposed to pitch today. I'm like, there's no shot. Like I should yeah. be fine. I got to the point where I completely took it off like after yeah. the end of July. I'm like, I'm not I stopped wearing it. mine in, in Lansing. I'm like, it's I, over. Like, it just doesn't matter. 
It's also like you're sleeping on buses and stuff. You're not supposed to feel good. No. Especially with some of the meals that we always end up getting all over the place. You know, Burger King's, Dairy Queen's, McDonald's, Brutal. Anything you can find. Yeah, and Aiden, well, first off, the first thing I'm going to say is I know for a fact when when Dan's looking for a pitching coach when he's running his college program, you're probably going to be on the first five on his phone call after the last five to ten minutes of you talking about individualized player development because – Quite frankly, that's what it's all about. And, and to be honest with you, I know you, you aren't familiar with us. And, you know, we just met today. And that's what our whole podcast is about pretty much is individualized player development. We preach it. And one of the things that you talked about, too, was that kind of hit right at home for me. And I'm sure Dan probably had the same almost physical reaction was talking about the coaching side of things of how when it works, it makes the coach look good. And when it doesn't, it makes, you know, you're released. It's your job. You know, we're in the college game. So guys didn't get released. But yeah. guys get villainized guys get pushed to the end of the bench guys get you know told they're not listening things like that we we've seen it like you 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 can say what you want it's not the coach's fault but you know quite frankly I've been around enough coaches that I've known that it is the coach's fault and you know we talk about the importance of building a relationship in that and one of the things that I'd like to know your opinion about because you're, you're a very thoughtful guy is, is what is the balance in minor league baseball of the ability to build a relationship with a coach? Like if you have a coach who's committed to building that relationship, but also the time crunch that you're under of whether you could be released at any moment and you know you have to make changes and you know you have to kind of be in the good graces of the organization. So you might not have time to build the relationship with the pitching coach. What What's that balance in your mind of, of just the relationship versus actual development and performance? I think the hard thing with minor league baseball is like you just, it, it moves fast. Like you may not, you probably won't get the same coach again. Like ideally as a player, you're not wanting to like repeat levels. Um, so I think the relationship side of it is I'll always put the relationship side ahead of like pretty much. I think like there's, I feel like people want to sell it as there's either a coach who like, you know, it's great relationship and maybe he like doesn't know how to like, I don't know the analytics or something. I can still hang out with that coach. Like that's fine with me. And he's probably a good guy to have around for season because it's a long year. And like, you don't just constantly need to be getting told like, well, this, this sucks, that sucks. But the line of like, you also, if you like are super educated on analytics and you understand all this, but you can't know how to communicate it, that's also not valuable. So a big thing that I believe in is obviously like, I think you need to understand it at a high level to be a coach in today's game or to be a player in today's game. But the most valuable tool, in my opinion, is being able to communicate it with people because A, if they don't like you, they won't listen. And B, if you don't understand it, then you can't tell them anything beneficial. So there, it has to be something in the middle. It can't just be like you're, you know, a player's coach, and you can't also just be like someone who like doesn't isn't able to pretty much communicate. So I would put being able to communicate it almost as being higher on the like value chart than actually understanding it, because a lot of guys understand it, but like it's communicated so poorly that it's not able to actually be passed on. Um, I think coaching is honestly really hard. I think uh, like. You have minor leagues and college are different, but like you have a lot of guys and like you're, I, I kind of made, I think it was in a video recently is like my like advice to high schoolers or college guys is you're like, you need to care more about your career than anyone else. Like your coach will never care more about your career than you do. And it shouldn't be that way. 
So, but ideally you get a coach that cares about you as a person and wants to like work with you on that and also can understand how to like communicate to make you better. I mean, that's the, the ideal world. So, but I, I do think, I think it's a, coaching is a pretty tough job. So, I, but I think the general thing is like, if you care about your athlete, that's like the most important thing in my mind. I would always put that first above someone who's super educated on analytics on how to like, cause honestly, it's like, we've, I don't know if you've got to like for coaches where it's like, you don't really like the team's not playing it for the coach. Right. And like, he kind of knows it. And so you're all just kind of like, you know, it's the whole, like you're throwing a pen and he's like, well, try this. And you throw the exact same pitch without doing anything different. He's like, see, that works. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, like we've all been there. So <laughs> ideal world, you get the coach who cares about you as a player first. And then if most likely the coach is willing to do that, then he's also probably willing to learn and get better at his game so he can hopefully make his guys actually better. That should go hand in hand. To me, that's always what, what's been important too, is that it's more so a partnership, right? Like when we, I feel like the, the societal norm of, of coaching is it's an authoritative figure. It may be so with a yeah. head coach or a manager at some point, but to me, especially when you're a position coach, like for you, it's, this has to be a partnership because like you said, you're probably going to, like you're going to, if you care a lot about your career and I care a lot about your career, this can't just be me telling you what to do as a coach, right? Mm-hmm. As a player, like you should, you should want to be curious and you should want to have some thoughts and ideas. And to me, right. It has to be sort of a partnership there where it's like, you yeah. don't just work for me. This is me and you. How can we get the most out of you as the player? Right? Yeah. Well, what can I do to help? Like, I think sometimes it's like the whole misunderstanding of like, you know, coaches, like yelling at players and stuff. But like, I think that there's a place for like being able to communicate what you're, what you think and what you need. And pretty much if you're playing for a coach who just wants to uh, just you to follow a program and just like, listen and doesn't even want your opinion, doesn't want your thoughts in college, I get it. It's a little different. You're dealing with 18 year old. I mean, probably you're dealing with 18 year old kids too. But for me, it's like the coaches who always have the time of day to hear what I was saying, even if it was dumb, like, I mean, some, I look back on some of the stuff and I'm like, damn, yeah, that was, that was in it. But it's like, <laughs> you don't learn that if you don't ever talk about it or like try to reach out to someone. And so for me, it's like, I just want coaches who are open to at least hearing me out and then I'll hear them out. Oh, I mean, it's all we're doing. So it's like, I just think that there should be, and most good coaches understand that, but there's a place for that conversation. Um, and there's the understanding, like, you know, in pro ball, this is their job. I have my job. And they don't directly correlate. Like, if I do well, it's not like he goes up. It's not just not really how it works. And the difference of college and pro ball, biggest difference, and I wonder if Colin agrees with me, is there is no team. No. There is no team that is not why you play minor league baseball. And people can – I'm not saying I'm against team. I'm a, Like, I would love to win. And it's way more fun if you're on a winning team and everyone's pulling – but everyone's there for themselves. And in college, you're kind of there because you, you know, you're buying into the, the culture or you're playing with your friends. But like in Pro Bowl, I mean, you lose your job the next day. You know, you get your, your best friend gets traded. Like that stuff just happens because it's a business. And so I think sometimes the motto of like, you know, we're a family. It's like to me, if you're going to sell, we are a family. Like there's got to be some weight backing that up. Because I just don't believe it. Like, I would rather teams just be honest and be like, this is a business. We want you to all be big leaguers. But guess what? 
maybe two of you out of the 25 here will be. So it's like, who, who's going to be that guy? Um, it's actually my, one of my favorite uh, memories with the A's was Keith Lipman, who was the farm director for the A's for a very long time. Um, in 2018, when I got drafted, we all sat down in the room, like 40 of us, or close to 40, 35 guys. And it was his last year as farm director, and he was very honest. And we kind of got the, whoever talked up front gave us kind of like the whole, like, you know, congrats, you made it, blah, blah, blah. And he pretty much came up and he was like, um, like, congrats, obviously all of you are good enough to be here. And pretty much he's like, I want you to like look around. He goes, cause most likely out of a draft class, the odds are two of you will make it to the big leagues. And he goes, and you should look around. And right now, if you're not asking who's the other guy in the room, you're not it. And I remember taking that being like, wow. And like, but that's, that's it. There's 40 of us sitting there. And if you're first, size, oh, I wonder who the two guys are going to be. It's like, dude, like you're going to get your ass kicked. Like, and I remember sitting there and being like, I don't know if anyone else is going to make it, but like, I, like, I don't care. And I think that goes kind of the same way with uh, coaching. Like you in pro ball, it's, it's an individual sport really that you play. I remember that too. I I remember in Vermont, I was in the, we were in the bullpen and I actually can't remember his name. He was in my draft class and he like looked at me and was like, Hey, who do you think from our draft class is going to make it? I was like, I know my first thought was like myself. And he was like, I'm, I'm thinking about other guys. I'm like, Oh gosh. And next, you know, that guy, I mean, COVID happened that probably yeah. bought into it, but he's not playing anymore. So it was like, no. wow, like it's tough. It's a tough concept. It's like that unwritten rule. No one ever talks about. Like, no, no, one no one likes to no ever, talk ever talk about, about it. it. You just try to but move on from and, it and just, it's yeah. just there. And I mean, to be honest, I've only obviously played for one organization. Other organizations might be different. Guys might actually like, you know, really, but like, Generally, I've also talked to guys in other orgs. Like, it's generally the same thing. Guys are like, you're out there playing for yourselves. It's not, but like, I guess what I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. And that's where I think fans maybe don't like it. But like, I don't think it's a bad thing. If every single player is trying to play their very best, that's probably going to lead to a very successful team. So exactly. it goes hand in hand. And the thing is like winning mm-hmm. at the big league level is the only thing that matters. And I think that's one of the hard things with, I think it's something that is a systematic flaw in the way you build guys up to the big leagues is winning doesn't matter. Those A balls, A ball, double H does not matter. And then you get to the big leagues, it's the only thing that matters. Like nobody cares about your individual stats. And it's, that's it. Outside of just saying hire better coaches, what would you say is, is something that could maybe fix uh, minor league baseball right now as far as development goes, maybe even talking about, you know, teaching guys how to win. What do you think is something that you've seen now that you've had this experience that like, Hey, this, this could probably be done a little, this is something that would help. I mean, paying players livable wages would be the first thing. (laughs) Um, Paying guys above a poverty line seems like a pretty reasonable start. Paying guys to train in the off season, properly feeding guys. I mean, just pretty basic things um, uh, would be the first things. And then, from there, I mean, I think like, I, I think that the, there's a lot of teams who are doing player development very well, um, but it's like a bunch that are way ahead, then it's kind of the middle of the pack, and then you obviously have people behind. But I think that general like treatment of players would be the first thing. I think that that would increase um, a lot 
a lot more than, and I just think from a organizational standpoint, I don't see the downside in treating your players better. I really don't. Like if you, if these, this is the whole, like these are your guys, this is your prospects, these are your face, your team. Like I, I know like it's the whole, like if I was running a business, I would want to treat my employees as good as possible because that is my business. That is what like you are seeing. And it's what they talk about. If somebody asks your employees how they like their job and they're like, well, a lot of it sucks. Like you're not doing your job well enough. And I think the, from a team wise, I think it'll always be hard to make like it, a team sport in the minor leagues just because you're moving guys up and down. So it's not like it's, it's way different. If you're playing 140 games with like pretty much you got 30 guys up and down all year, like you're going to war with those guys every day. When you show up in the locker room and three guys are gone, this guy got traded. That like it's just you're kind of like I mean that's where it needs to be about you, because right. if you're like there to play with your friends, they're gone. So it's mm-hmm. like they they get cut, they get traded, like they're not there. So that's not why you play minor league baseball. It's a tough pill to swallow, but sometimes has to be heard. Uh, I had a question. So uh, you talked about you were a starter in, uh, through college, I believe. And then mm-hmm. I remember you telling me uh, you told uh, the A's at the time that you wanted to be a reliever. And I wanted to ask, like, why you thought that would help you in your development and also how that changed your everyday routine of going from the, you know, at that mm-hmm. time in 19, you were on a five-day rotation rather than, you know, we're on the six, kind of the six, seven-day rotation now. So I think I uh, just wanted to hear your thoughts and what you uh, what you went through for that. Yeah, that was after 19 I started, and pretty much it just came down to, like, my ceiling. And I know technically starters have a higher ceiling for pay, and for, but, like, I was, I'm very honest with myself. Like, I knew I was 24 at the time, going to be 24 that year, like, I was probably going to have to repeat a level as a starter. Like I was just looking at pretty much how the organization moved guys and starters typically have to spend a year, two years at every spot. And I'm like looking at it. I'm like, well, I'm going to be 30 by the time. Like I maybe, and so I just remember like pretty much it was just like, I think to kind of take my career in my hands too. And I wanted to be a reliever. It looked like more fun. Um, I like starting, but like it just wasn't, I wasn't also, you also have to understand what teams are like looking for. I wasn't an everyday starter for the A's. Like, I'm the A's nightmare as a starter. High walks, a lot of pitches, not a lot of, like, ground balls, which is fine. Like, that's their, that's how they like their starting pitchers. And, I mean, that's typically what makes a pretty good starting pitcher is not throwing a ton of pitches. Um, so I think it just made sense for me. And so I remember asking them, and, like, they didn't have an issue with it. I think they kind of thought the same way. Um, but, again, like, if I didn't say that, I probably would have been a starter for another year. And so I just think it's good for guys to be able to like, if you kind of make up your mind about something to just kind of go for it at that point. Um, but my favorite thing about being a reliever compared to starting is you get to play more. Like I grew up a position player. And so when I first started pitching in college, I remember just like sitting there bored out of my mind all the time. Cause I'm like, what do you mean? Like we just don't, like don't play at all ever. And so I really enjoy, um, as a reliever, I mean, you play 140 games and maybe pitch 50 or 60, but like you could have thrown in a hundred. So really like there's only so many games in the season where it's like, you're down, you're definitely not throwing. And so pretty much you get to like actually be excited about that every day. I think as a starter, I remember like showing up to the park on like day three, and I'm just like, Oh my God, 
Like I, I know exactly. I'm just going to sit here for the next six hours. Like I'm not doing anything. So I, I do enjoy that part of relieving versus being a starter. Bullpen's <clears throat> fun too, man. I, I yeah. love starter pitchers, but it's a bunch of prima donnas. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, the bullpen, the bullpen is usually where you find the most like, Again, D two JUCO burned out. Guys. Yep. You're, you're I can, guys. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can attest yeah. to that. Sitting in the pen, an average of about 500 milligrams of caffeine running through everyone. Yeah. It's a good <laughs> everybody <laughs> playing yeah, trivia that. in the bullpen. You got top yeah. ten list every game. Go back to the clubhouse, change it up. Oh, what are we doing now? You're flipping all quarters and everything. Yeah. All all types of stuff going you, on. You get real creative <laughs> to keep yourself entertained. <laughs> as soon as that yeah. phone rings, it's go time. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's awesome. And and you you mentioned being very honest with yourself and and I think from an athlete standpoint, like that's probably the most important attribute to kind of get to a point at some point where in your career where you can at least reflect and not mm-hmm. be oblivious to the reality. Where where did that come from? Yeah. Is that is that kind of from your background of, you know, being overlooked as a D2 guy not being recruited from a JUCO? Like is that kind of where that came from or are you just pretty, you know, open-minded and and understand kind of how the world works is is it or is it a balance of both? I'd say a little bit of balance of both. I think my parents set me up with like the understanding. I like kind of joke with them now, but like there was an understanding of like pretty much like you're not special. Like I was never, I was never playing club ball thinking I was like the best kid on the team. I never, and some of that was because I was like clearly wasn't. It would have <laughs> been different if I was like really good when I was young, but I like I wasn't, and I kind of never, um, never carried that. And so I think when it, when it, I kind of like made it my own was probably college because I mean, I think my freshman, sophomore, junior year, I was still like lying to myself, you know, the whole, like I wanted to play pro ball, but I was also going out five days a week, like being like everyone else, which is fine. If you don't want to do something else, like if you're just playing college ball, like I have, a, I have people like kind of ask, like, you know, if I wish I would have like gotten figured out my mindset like freshman year and I'm like kind of like no because like I, I appreciate everyone who I met and but like would have been better for me absolutely but it really wasn't until like that senior year of college where I was like this is like all on me and I knew exactly where I pretty much like ranked and so I knew what I needed to do and that was the whole like senior year it's like well you need to throw harder like I knew I didn't throw hard enough and so I do think uh in sports I don't know where some of it comes from. I don't know if it's a individual thing or just like people just don't really want to see it, but I don't really see it as a bad thing. Like, I really do think it's good to be able to be like, I just wasn't like that good or, you know, like I, but like you could say you worked hard or to be like, wow, I was good and I didn't work hard. I think that one's way harder for people. Um, but I recently made a video and it was pretty much like my, the one thing, if I could only say one thing would be like, I think people or like guys who play sports, kids think that by working hard, you're guaranteeing your success. And in my opinion, the quote that I always run is like working hard doesn't guarantee any success, but not working hard guarantees lack of success. Those are your only two options. So for me, I knew it's like either I I can work extremely hard. I might still not make it like I'm okay with that because the other option is I don't work hard and I got no shot. So it's really like, I mean, if you look at it like that, it's like, well, okay, do I actually want to work hard? Because that's the second thing. Everyone's kind of like, well, yeah, I want to do it. And then it's like, no, you doubt. Like, you really don't want to do it. <laughs> like, it's, it's pretty, it can be, like, miserable. And 
I think that's where a lot of guys will kind of say, yeah, like they want to do it. And then it's like the whole, like, you know, they have to say no to something that they want to do. And then it's like, uh, you know, maybe I don't really want to do, which is again, it's fine. Like this isn't, not everybody gets to play at like high levels and not everybody. And that's not, it's just kind of how it works, but understanding like by working hard, you're not guaranteed anything. Like you're, you're not, but if you don't work hard, like what's the other option? You're, guaranteed to not make it like you're not going to accidentally just make the big leagues yeah like colin can attest to that like you you were like i don't know you went to a bigger school like in my mind like you were pretty good i'm assuming your entire like career i don't really know but you still understand like you're not just gonna wake up one day and just make it no i remember like first got drafted it was like like that first like day it was like oh my gosh like hey let's go like we got drafted and you show up to Arizona yeah. and it's like, there's 200, more, there's 200 kids right here. There's 200 kids that are just like me. And at that yeah. point, better than me. Yeah. So it's, so you're like, it's either fight or flight. Like I'm like, yeah. I have no choice right now. Like it's either do or die. Like I have to work hard. I have to outwork that guy. I have to outwork that guy. I have yeah. to outwork the rest of these probably a hundred arms in the organization. Yeah. And then get you get traded even, and you're competing against yeah. another, like a different hundred. So that's the whole like, it's, Gosh, it's I, and I think the cool thing is when you see it and so like i don't know but like uh for you guys the first time i saw palouse is like was in 2020 i think like i kind of met yeah, you co- i don't know but pretty much the first time i saw palouse really throw was 2020 instruct and he it, it had been covid year and that was like a big thing for me it was like it was covid year that's a free year to just train which like mm-hmm. we'll never get again in our career i i got it again because i got released but, like, you don't typically get a year, and pretty much, like, the amount of adaptions you can have in a year versus three months is so significant. So I remember watching Palouse. I'd seen, like, seen you throw before. It was just kind of like, yeah, like, you're good. I don't know. Didn't know yeah. Didn't look much. And I started throwing instructs. I remember being, like, sitting in the stands in this, like, empty stadium. And I was, like, sitting there. I'm like, what? Like, what <laughs> is that? And he's, like, sitting 97, 98, just. And I remember sitting there and be like, wow. And it's the whole, like, you could so clearly see the amount of work he had done, and it was showing. And I'm sure mm-hmm. other guys maybe did work, and it just, like, didn't show. Like, I know for me, my instructor oh. was pretty average. I worked really hard, I, but my instructor still kind of sucked. <laughs> it was the same way. I remember sitting in the stands, and Bryce Conley, like, yeah. roommate, his first outing, is sitting there, he's 5-7. to seven. I'm like, holy crap. Next yeah. guy, like Jeff Criswell, sitting 5-7, to seven, touching 8. I'm, like, striking guys out, banger curveballs. Yeah. You know, Bryce great slider we're sitting there i'm like it doesn't stop and i know we had like a really tight group and instructs where i mean gus varlin was there we had Watson charles you were we had guys that all through smoke that were incredible and yeah it was just like that's how much harder we have to work because there's just in this small group of 20 there's yeah. 20 of us right here yeah. so it's like you can't imagine other orgs and like i touched on like getting trade and stuff you're at the in minor league baseball, you're pretty much playing for every other organization. Sometimes, every day, like every single every day, day you're being every day, it's incredible. Teams. Yeah, somebody's always watching you. Yeah, and my favorite part is I don't take it as a bad thing. Like when guys are super talented, I don't. I don't. Mm. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, he's just like super good. It's like, yeah, man, it must be sick. Like it really, <laughs> like it must be cool. But like, it's not a knock. And my my thing is like, too, if you're gonna get an 18 year old who's throwing 100 miles an hour. What are you going to tell that kid? 
And that's where, like, to me, telling him, like, oh, well, you need to really work hard and have a work ethic. It's like, no. He doesn't. <laughs> he rolls out of bed and throws 100 miles an hour. Like, is he going to need one down the road? Yes. But, like, right now, how are you going to convince a kid who's 18, the best in the world, that, like, hey, guess what? You're not good enough. Like, I don't, I I don't think you can. I don't think you should try. And no. so that's the whole, you're competing with the pool of the most elite, like people in the world. And then also people who are maniacs and work extremely hard. And so it's like, where, if you're not doing one of the two, you got no shot. Dude. Absolutely no chance. Like if you're not the most talented or you're not the hardest worker in the room by like a lot, you're, you're in the middle. And that's what like, I think, I think people who are there don't see that. Cause I, I mean, I don't think they want to. So what you, I mean, that just a ton of gold right there, but you then, you know, you talk about, and you mentioned every day you're working out for all 30 clubs in the minors. And then you talk about how, you know, the competitive side of, of, you know, trying to perform to advance. So you get released in August. What did that do to motivate you? What has the last six months been then of being able to take the time to train and say, okay, I'm, I'm now working for my next big, you know, my next pro contract. Mm -hmm. What kind of has been that mindset and motivation, you know, since August? It was all or nothing. That was it. It was, this either works in six months or it doesn't and I'm done. And so similar to my senior year, that like realization of um, even like looking back at like rehab, it's like I was doing fine. I did everything I needed to do, but like I wasn't dialed in every day for six months. I was just kind of thinking I was going to come back and be okay. And I wasn't, and I, I like wasn't even close. Like, one of my first lives, I was, like, 87 miles an hour. And I remember being, like, wow, like, I'm not even close. And so pretty much when I got released, it was, like, A, I give it, a like, an all-in go, and, like, for six months, try to get to a pro day, see what happens. Um, or I could just hang it up right then, um, which really, I mean, wasn't even an option. Like, it was one of those things, like, yeah. I sat on it for probably a day or two and was, like, well, it's not a yes, so it's a no. So I'm going to go after it and um, pretty much lined up like who I was going to train with and uh, got everything set up and just, I mean, put everything into it. And that's like, I mean, that's during that cool. time, even though, I mean, I got like, I got married and it's like my throwing, we had like based my throwing around that. Like, I, I mean, honestly, that uh, the my wedding week, which was like about 10 days start to kind of finish. I got out there, honeymoon stuff. Those are the only 10 days. Like I haven't, this isn't it. Like, this hasn't been the thing. So those six months, it's like, I mean, just like, it's the whole, like, you take the lowest hanging fruit and you get rid of it. Like, drinking isn't an option. Not sleeping eight hours isn't an option. Not training isn't an option. Not throwing isn't an option. And pretty much when you get it down to that, it becomes very simple and very boring. And I think that for most people, the boring is what beats people out. Like, in my opinion, it's not about who can train the hardest. So who can do boring the longest just every day and like mm -hmm. that's where even when people ask about like pro day so i'm like excited for it i'm excited to be done with it because i'm just excited for whatever is like after it pretty much i'm excited for a break of like the mental um energy of like this is the one thing for the last six months that's been on my mind like every single day so i'm just excited for it to be whatever the next one is that's totally good with me but it will be like refreshing to get a next a next thing because pretty much for the last six months every day has been based around how can i possibly do as good as i can in six months and then it's five months four months three months and i mean 
even this week. It's just like the next few days, how can I just make sure I'm as good as I can possibly be? And so to some extent, I already feel like I've done everything I needed to. Now it's just a showcase and you get to show what you worked on. And that's pretty much what it comes down to. So I think for me, the biggest uh, like win in it all is just getting to pro day. <laughs> Cause that was like my only really fear of when I started wasn't that like I, you know, wouldn't, I wasn't really worried. I wouldn't be able to get better because I just knew I was just so not good at the time that I was like, I'll definitely be able to get a little bit better. Um, but the biggest fear was pretty much just like injury and knowing that if you're training at a really high intensity for six months, like right off the surgery, stuff can happen and not being insured, not making any money. I mean, pretty much like went all in and risked it and we're here and I'll get to throw Saturday and kind of see what happens. But um, I mean, it was all in mentally, emotionally, financially, all of it. Like that was it. Because to me, it was worth it. If I got here and like, if I throw Saturday and nobody wants me, I'm, I can live with that. I don't have an issue with that, but I couldn't like just, you know, I don't know, like work a regular job in the off season and kind of take it seriously. Like that wasn't to me, it wasn't going to be an option because I'm not good enough to do that and still make it. Like I have no, right. so for me to have a chance to make it, like it is all in and that's it. As I remember after I remember you texting you were like right after you know, we were in the locker room at the time and I remember like saying like what what's up we gonna do and I think your first thought was I'm gonna start training it was like yeah I have no choice I'm I'm getting right back to it like I'm yeah gonna work my tail off and you've I know you've probably won every single day up until this point on Saturday and now yeah. it's just showcase all the hard work that you've put in every single day from you know that first week in August up till now and it's time to really mm-hmm. show everybody what you've worked on and i think it's really impressive yeah. that you've had that mindset for from after getting released which is tragic i mean i know i've seen stories of guys like guys crying in locker rooms like it's tough like grown men going through that and you took it as more motivation and hey here i go now it's time to roll let's see what happens yeah i don't honestly think i ever really allow myself to be like upset about it because mm-hmm. to some extent it sounds pretty weird but i had like almost this like relief And pretty much the relief came from feeling like I kind of felt like I was in a system where I was just kind of like, I was like, and this is my individual system as well as like team. I was just kind of like going through the motions, you know, it was pretty much like I already knew where I was going to train the off season now, pretty much sandbagging the rest of the year because I've gotten hurt. So it's like, oh, I'll come back next year. But like my plan for the off season wasn't to like kill it. My plan for the off season was to have a normal off season. I was going to work. I was going to train at like a chill gym. I was, and, um, just like that. That wasn't like pretty much when it came down to it. Like, luckily I think to some extent I like going all in. I don't like playing the game. I don't like, you know, kind of being in the middle. So if it's going all in to some extent, I think I felt some relief about that of like, well, like pretty shortly after being released was like, okay, well I can, I can do this now on my own and kind of see where I get to uh, versus feeling like I was kind of in between. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, I mean, being released is hard and, but I mean, it's a lot harder to not like work hard. And that's, I think to some extent people always talk about too, it's like, well, you know, training or like doing the right things is expensive. And I'm like, well, so is not being good enough. So is not like, you know, it's expensive working a regular job. Like Mm -hmm. that, that sucks. That's mentally expensive. Like it's taking Mm -hmm. your energy, it's taking your time. Like, and especially if it's the whole, if you still have something in the back of your mind that's telling you, you should have been doing something. And this isn't a knock on anyone, but I mean, I got released with a lot of people. Like I wasn't special. That was at the time where teams were cutting down. So, I mean, that week there was, I'm sure hundreds of guys released 
Right. And I knew at the time, it's like, most of those guys aren't coming back. And initially everyone's kind of in this whole, like, oh, we're all in this together, you know, like, you know, it, it shouldn't have happened to you. It shouldn't happen to me. And it's like, well, it did. And like, I'm going to beat you back. And so I think, uh, yeah, it's been long, but it's been, uh, been good. And I mean, it's also the whole, like, no matter what happens this season, if I get a chance to play next off season, next off season is going to look exactly like this, if not more extreme, because that's just what, what it needs to be now. And that's kind of the whole, like, once you know better, you need to do better. I, I think it's clear that like you, it's impressive too. You just have like an elite mindset towards your training and understanding the process, which I know that Trevor probably loves because Trevor's one of the most process oriented people I've ever met. But you also seem so at peace with, you know, whatever happens on Saturday happens. And I know a lot of guys that like they would be full of anxiety right now. They wouldn't have agreed to come on some podcast two nights before they had a pro day. Right. Like because they're yeah. just full of anxiety. How did you get to the point that is it? Is it a thing where, like, I trust in my training? Like, how have you become at peace with whatever happens, happens? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, like, I mean, uh, like, big picture of it all is, like, I'm just at peace, I think, in general with, like, life of, like, it, kind of knowing the order of importance and, like, having my people, having my friends, and having my faith and, like, really just, like, solid in that. So, like, no matter what's going to happen Saturday, like, it's not going to be... Like it, it's the whole, like, I think to some extent I started thinking about things of like, it's the spent, like putting time and your energy towards something that may or may not happen. Like it, it's arguably, in my opinion, the biggest waste of time. Cause it's like, it may or may not even happen. A it's the whole, like if you're running late to a, you know, you're running late to an interview and you're just like freaking out the entire way there. It's like, well, you might show up and they're, they're late too. You might show up and they're like, they don't care. You might show up and you might beat them, but you like freaking out about the entire way isn't going to make your interview any better. So the best thing you can do is just kind of roll with it. And I think from a baseball side, I mean, yeah, like I've, I've, the pro day isn't hard. Pro day is not the hard day. The training, mm-hmm. the six months, the boring days, that's hard. Showing off is, is arguably that's why I pitch. That's why I enjoy it. Like competing and showing off, not in like a arrogant way, but showing off like what you've done, what you're working towards. Like, that's the only reason I like baseball. Like, I like competing. Everyone's always asking, what's your favorite? It's not, you know, the bus rides. It's not like the team camaraderie. It's just not. It's competing. I like being able to face somebody. I like being able to compete against them. And I don't think you get to do that in a lot of jobs. And so, like, I think that's my by far my favorite part of the job. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, it comes from, I think, just being comfortable. It just comes from, like, whatever's going to happen Saturday is going to happen. And, I've done everything I can, so I just get to be at peace with that, and hopefully something amazing comes out of it. But it's at the same time, like if you know, like right now looking at it is like worst cases, I don't get signed Saturday. But it's like in the big scheme of things, it's really not not a, not a bad thing. Like it just doesn't really matter. Maybe something better comes from not being signed. I don't know, but like I'm okay with that either way. And um, I'm just looking forward to being done with kind of like this block of training for like this particular day. Um, I, I like I don't know something I was thinking about yesterday is like I've pretty much driven the same route for the last six months every day for training and like the first song I'll play every day is the exact same song just over and over and mm-hmm. over and over every single day not like the entire car ride I'll listen to other music but like the first song <laughs> I play when I'm going to go train is the same song every single day and it was the same song I was listening to when I got released and I'm just every single day because it's the whole like six months is a long time people forget about things but like I'm not 
forgetting about it. So for every day for six yeah. months, it's like the same song I was listening to when I got told I was getting released is the same song I start every single drive with. What song? What's the song? We got uh, Freaking Out on the Interstate by Briston Maroney. There you go. I love it. Yeah, luckily it's not a terrible song. I'm glad it wasn't like <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't like Waka Flocka because I'd have a really hard time, <laughs> really hard time doing that. But uh, yeah, that would have <laughs> that would have gone. I, love I mean, you, it, go ahead, Kyle. I'm sorry. I love how like you say like it's like it's boring, and uh, I think Trevor and I have like read uh, Tim Grover, somebody that we like, and he talks yeah. about how like. Michael Jordan, he does the boring stuff every day. He's throwing out practice with chess passes. That's like us showing up and doing the same. Like for, I've had this the same mobility and warm up routine forty five minutes every day since the start of twenty twenty one. Yeah, it is so boring. You do it every single day. Like, but that is the routine. That's how hard it is to do that every single day. And I yeah. love how you say it's boring because it is. Like you're sitting there, like I did this yesterday, I did the day before, and I got to do yeah. it tomorrow, the day after. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. stop. If you could tell, like, if you could tell, like, one young kid, like, something, uh, what would you tell them based off of like that? Was, like to get used to that, or like, is there something else you would tell them? I don't know. I think it's pretty hard to convince a kid anywhere between fourteen and like twenty that. Uh, doing boring stuff is good for you. Um, but I do, I think just being like, again, just, it comes back to kind of just being honest of like, it's hard to, you can't make somebody understand something until they understand it themselves. Like you can't force what you know because of your experience onto someone else. You can try to communicate it and try to, you know, help them not make some of those same mistakes. But for the most part, people need to make the same mistakes to learn it themselves. Like most guys who have a really good work ethic didn't learn it because somebody told them about it or because they read about it. They learned it because they finally got to that point where they were like, wow, I need to like do something different. Um, so I, I think I wouldn't even try to like, like it's the way I'm going to tell a 14 year old kid, he needs to do the same warm up routine every day for like, for like eight years of his life. Like <laughs> I think you just get to like, honestly baseball for a very long time should just be fun. It is a career now for us. Like, and, but, until like through college it's supposed to just be fun and it's cheesy but like at the end of the day if you're not enjoying showing up to the ballpark you shouldn't be doing it and then from there if you enjoy showing up to the ballpark it's like well how good can you be how much work like what routines can you build but yeah trying to convince like a 16 year old kid i mean i have a brother who's a junior in high school right now and he's like mentally understands exactly like kind of like he's seen me do it and we like talked about it but I'm not going to like force it on him because it just doesn't work. And so he does some stuff really well. Some stuff he like the whole, like he, he doesn't have a professional baseball players like daily routine because he's a 17 year old kid and he has a life, but he <laughs> does understand it. So it's like, at some point I'm hoping that he'll kind of have that, like, okay, this is kind of what I've developed. These are the habits. And then it's like, from there, it's like just building habits out and then it just becomes your routine. And that's a, you mentioned Grover. That's like a, um, I'm going to draw a blank on it right now. Um, Atomic Habits. I'm drawing a blank on who wrote it, but him talking Mm -hmm. about, it's just like identity points. So like for you and I as baseball players, like there's certain things we need to do towards those identity points. But it's like, if you want to act like a frat kid, you're not giving yourself any identity points towards what you're saying you want to do. So at some point it just comes to like compiling so many like uh, pretty much like habits that now suddenly like you got a whole system going 
that's like being roommates. I remember we'd get up every day, we ate the same breakfast, sausage, yep. eggs, and sometimes steak. Wake up, eat, go lay in bed for a couple hours. Same walk to the field, maybe go to the market, go to Goodfellas, get a bagel or something, yeah. and then same routine. I mean, you're in Texas, same like go to the gas station, it's the same thing. But before yeah. you know it, you're doing it every day. It's just a part of your everyday life, and you just go with it. It's just it, yeah. It is drilled in your back of your mind. That's it's the same stuff that goes in with your training and stuff. It just, it's just like you have to do it. It's just stuck in the back of your mind. I love yeah. that mindset of like, if I don't do this, like I'm in trouble. Like somebody else is doing this when I'm not yeah. doing it. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing with bad habits. So that's the thing. Like you develop bad habits by just doing them over and over and over and over. And before you know it, it's the whole like you have problems. And so it's the same thing is like you can systematically create good habits. So versus having bad habits, because no, like, I don't believe there's any middle ground. That's the problem. Like, if you don't have, I don't know, like a good example is like drinking water. If you know that you need to drink X amount of water and you have a pretty good system for it, that's just easy. And now you pretty much do that every single day. If you're not like drinking water and you're just not doing that every single day, that's going to end up causing bigger issues. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's, mm-hmm. there's no middle ground there. It's not like one day you're really good at it and one day you just don't drink any water you're going to just do what you're telling yourself to do. So like now it's like the whole, the good thing is like, you don't even have to think about it anymore. You just know that like, yeah, you, you drank your gallon and a half every day. And it's just easy. And it doesn't take any effort. It's the same thing with like homework and school, which was like, was not something I got until my senior year it was like pretty much like, Oh, well, if I just have like, you know, good habits around this, it'll just be way easier. Hey, I, I got to ask you because a lot of the stuff you're saying, who who's some other people that, that you kind of follow that have kind of helped with your mentality? Like I'm a big Jocko Willink guy. Mm-hmm. He's kind of been a guy who's – I would be lying if I said didn't set the foundation for – I mean I yeah. have Jocko Willink shirt on actually I was gonna say, yeah. right now. That's the irony of that because <laughs> I was not planning to bring him up. But you know, just the reality that that's just what it is. Like there's no, there's no middle ground. It's either yes or no. Like, do you eat the donut or do you not eat the donut? Do you get up when your alarm clock? Like it, he talks about how it's non-negotiable in his life. His yeah. alarm clock goes off at four fifteen. 15, yeah. whether he went to bed at 10 or whether he went to bed at 6 PM, he's up. And it's such, like, even I, I have a hard time as somebody who follows him, like to even do the same thing when I know I have to get out of bed or I know when yeah. stuff's got, so who's some other people that, that, you know, I know we have some baseball players that listen to us that, kind of helped you get this mindset because I, I mean i'm sitting here with my like draw like I, i'm a fan like if i'm mlb organization and i heard this right <laughs> now like I, you got you got me back and you know and you got fans here that are listening so so where did that mindset come from i think a lot of it i mean i think a lot of it luckily got from like parents and family uh like my brother brothers and like I think a lot of it kind of originated from there. I think the outside sources like originally were kind of like when I first started kind of getting into it more was um, guys like kind of like Jocko, um, like listened to a lot of like Gary Vaynerchuk, um, stuff like that. And I think even um, a lot of the stuff, it's funny. I don't really like follow it as much anymore. Like, I don't know, like Goggins. And I, I like a lot of that stuff, but like, I don't really listen to a lot of it anymore. Um, it's kind of like on or off, but uh, when I was again, like a junior to senior year, I was consuming just hours of podcasts, interviews, anything I could touch. There's anything about anyone who is successful at anything. Um, and so that's where, I mean, I still like, 
even like Atomic Habits is one of my favorites. Right now I'm trying to read uh, Company of One, which is Paul Jarvis. I'm briefly mm-hmm. into that. But I think that originally, though, it was very much like probably similar to what like guys you like a lot. Like the whole like I think Jocko is uh, one of the earlier ones that I kind of got into um, more so like the discipline side of it. And yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, him and like Goggins, it's it's so crazy over the top intense, man. And that's like and I think it's great. But even to some extent for me, like there's an edge where I'm like, yeah, like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be, you gotta be a normal human being. (laughs) Yeah. Like you gotta live your life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I think obviously finding, trying to find some like common ground, but I mean, I'll pretty much consume any, like any content that is like, I like listening to a lot of people who are in like different spaces too. Not just like athletes or not just like, you know, like I like listening to, uh, just a lot of that, like different styles of what makes people good. Um, I was a big, uh, big like McGregor fan up front. Mm-hmm. Stuff was pretty funny, and like it's just also it's true. And I mean, the guy's nuts, and he's obviously doing his own thing now. But um, <laughs> I do think anyone who has gotten to that high of a level, um, it's the whole like has something wrong with them in a good way. Like there is yeah, something right. that they're doing differently. So it's kind of like what can you learn from mm-hmm. from them. Um, and I think now I, I still, honestly, I'm, like it's one of those things like I like habits that I'm not good at are still like just sitting down reading. Like reading is for some reason just like doing that is harder for me than other like like cold showers. Easy, easiest thing in the world. I like really? crazy them. with the cold. I, love I struggle it. with the cold showers. <laughs> See, that's like I mean, it looks like you read. You have a bunch of books behind you. Like I, yeah, I. I... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, how many yeah. times I walked into the cold tub room and you're in there neck deep? I'm like, what? Are, what oh, yeah. How are you it's in the water? <laughs> like, the colder the better. I'm all in on it. But like, yeah, sitting down, like having a reading routine, just ten minutes before bed at night for some reason is hard for me. And I think it's really? also like it's good to just have random things like that because it kind of keeps you honest. Mm-hmm. You'll never like yes. think too highly of yourself if you can't sit down and read for ten minutes every night. <laughs> uh, but I do think that a lot of people kind of shaped it and then I, I think honestly i mean i get it from like talking with different teammates and like working with a lot of guys over time and kind of seeing what other guys do and i think being curious is one of the biggest things that i can say has like helped my career mm. i yeah trev said it you got i mean i think you got fans on this podcast uh, <laughs> and, and i i hope saturday goes well but i i would i would feel bad if we had you on here and didn't ask because i've been a fan i'm the vlogs what <laughs> motivated you to to start that because to me you know i know colin obviously i've known a couple other minor leaguers so i kind of know a day in the life but to see some of the stuff you've put out what motivated you to do that because i think it's awesome if anyone wants to know what professional baseball looks like not at the big league level right where that's what most people consume and understand how good yeah. it is i mean you can watch aiden it, you know, get five uh, double burgers from Burger King and stack them up and eat like a 10 patty. Like, and it's awesome oh, yeah. because it's the truth, we right? Want, like you're pulling back the it, curtain man. for people, which is so fun to watch. And I, I eat it up, man. But what was kind of the motivation yeah, behind starting that? The main thing is to start. So I started during COVID year because, again, I had more time on my hands. And the two things I want to achieve through social media and that uh, stay true for me is it's never about me. Like, it's not, I'm not, I don't use it as a way to try to, I don't know. I mean, it's not like a clout thing. I don't, it, which is kind of funny. I think it's completely the opposite. For the most part, you just get like shit talk to you. Um, but <laughs> the biggest reasons, the two reasons I started it were I wanted to leave the game of baseball better than I found it. I wanted to help 
um, one pretty much when I started, it was like, well, if I can help one baseball player get better, then that might be worth it. Um, and pretty much I wanted to do it in a way that I think would have um, been helpful to me when I was 14, 18, 20. Um, cause there wasn't anything. Cause I remember being 20 and like looking stuff up online and like not finding anything. Um, and then the second part was just like the training side of it. So I went at it as if I can help people get better and also leave the game of baseball better for players and fans. Cause fans, I like, I'm a baseball fan too. And I think sometimes as a player, it's easy to kind of lose that side of it. Um, cause it is a career and it's a job and you're trying to make a living. But I think baseball does a very poor job of advertising and showing fans like a lot of just easy, cool stuff. Um, and a lot of players are pretty, pretty reserved and quiet and like, you know, don't want to show their lives. I totally understand that. Um, but it wasn't something like came easy to me. It's not like I wanted to like YouTube. Um, my <laughs> wife was honestly one of the biggest reasons why it actually happened. So she does like all the editing of videos um, and stuff like that. But I mean, when we were beginning it, like I didn't want to do it. Like dude, sitting down, and like recording yourself talking and watching it, you're just like, oh god, oh, um, so awkward. And so I remember one of the first things I learned was pretty much just trying to take my ego out of it. Was like, it doesn't matter if I think I sound weird if it helps somebody else. But there's also that line of like, I don't want to put something out that I don't actually like. Like, so that's where the whole obviously YouTube and social media gets pretty clickbaity, and that's kind of like how you have success on YouTube. And for me, like, I'm willing to trade the whole maybe more success for keeping the content the way I want to do it, which I think is interesting enough and like doesn't need to, I'm not trying to make it like, I guess like something more than it is. If it can hopefully kind of keep, uh, like keep the game of baseball moving forward. It's a way for me to document my career. That's another thing. Like I kind of like being able to have that because maybe in 10 years, you know, I'm not playing. I'd like to be able to watch some of that stuff. Like I wish I had started it honestly now. I wish I had started it in college. Like I wish I started it my senior year of college. Cause like, how cool would that be? And so I think, uh, I just kind of had interest in it from this, like that perspective of if we can make the game a little bit better and help players and, um, just like, just again, it, it, it's all honest. Like, I don't think there's anything on any of those videos where I like, oh, if I watched it, I'd be like, ah, no, that wasn't really truthful. Like for the most part, it's all, you know, pulling back the curtain, just kind of like, this is what it is. And, um, I do think that's why people, the authenticity is why I think it has been successful. Yeah, it's a blast. I mean, it's a blast to follow. And I got to follow it with just a couple quick fun ones. One, so you talk about getting creative with food in the minor leagues. And obviously my favorite is the the doubles from Burger King. What are some oh, other yeah. fun ones that you've had <laughs> that to put with, together? Luke and I were in the room together for that one. We were yeah. in the room. Yeah, we walked Lansing. around Lansing for like an hour. We were like, where is the food closed. in this place? Everything's closed. And you're <laughs> like, I'm going to order like five. <laughs> I'm going to order five patties from Burger King and just patty sandwich everything. Ground beef. <laughs> It was awesome. It Love was it. awesome. And it was smart. Like, honestly, you think about it, it was smart. You were saying it was like $2.30 for a double. You got five of them bad boys, and you just had a, a 10 patties for dinner. It was, get, it was get beautiful. Get good at cheap. And, and I think it's funny. I wish I would have had it in 2019 because that year in Beloit was – it was hell, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I don't think – yeah, that was tough. I've heard but, nothing but uh, interesting stories about that place. Yeah, tough, tough place to be. But um, yeah, I mean, and that's even going forward. Like, obviously, YouTube kind of took a backseat with training, and I had a wedding, and just like life. But um, even now, it's like with Pro Day, I have clips that I've done before of me talking about what I think Pro Day will be like. You know, the what the training, everything like that. 
and they'll have footage of pro day and they'll have whatever happens afterwards. Like there, whether I get don't sign or I do sign, like there's kind of a whole process. So people can kind of see what that looks like. Um, and I think in the long run, it's been, I've been happy with doing it. And it's one of the things like, I don't want to do it if I like, don't feel like I want to make a video. If I don't like, I'm not trying to force content, but um, it has been pretty cool to get like um, people like baseball players who it's like helped um, or who have like, Said that they found something that's been beneficial from it or fans of um just the game of baseball and just kind of having that content is pretty cool and even now it's like i had some kid recently reach out to me who's been following who i guess first messaged me and because i'll talk to a lot of guys through like instagram and stuff and answer questions that's not a free ad please don't ask me <laughs> questions on instagram but <laughs> don't ask me how to throw harder i have like 80 80 messages in my dms just unopened they're just like how do i throw harder i'm just like god um but you really want to know the everyday life like yeah but in really the long wanna... run i think uh i i enjoy doing it now and i enjoy having people kind of you know i guess like growing through it so that's i had someone who's i guess reached out to me at first when he was a sophomore in high school um and he like you know was asking baseball training questions it was like commenting on youtube stuff and he recently just like signed to a d1 and like let me know about it and stuff and pretty much like that in my mind like was kind of crazy because i mean insane then he's like it's been, insane. i've been on and off like kind of like we'll message with him for like three years just like randomly like but i think his first message was literally like you know i don't have like i'm a sophomore i don't have any schools like what do you you know, what do you, what do you think about like college? Like, how does it kind of work? Um, so I think just, uh, I think that's why in the long run I'll end up doing baseball, like doing YouTube until, you know, my baseball career ends. And then possibly if I go into coaching, it'll just reroute into that direction. That's fantastic. Right. And then, um, you also, this isn't a question, but you blew my mind cause the, uh, you had a start in the Arizona league that year and you drove yourself to the game, to the Brewers complex. Oh, yeah. And my mind was blown because I'm over here naive and a college guy. And it's like, well, you, you get on a bus and go from your complex to, to yours. And then you you drive yourself over there. You're the first one in the stadium, which I loved because it's start day. We're fired yeah. up. And then you get back and you're locked out of your own complex. Yep. Couldn't get, couldn't get it was here. raining, too. It was a good day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, there's it's, a lot of. There's just a lot of, like, I guess, stuff that, like, while you're playing, you don't, like, think is weird or you don't really notice. Yeah, I think a lot of people mm -hmm. think it's super weird. Like, I, right. don't, I, like, I don't know. I've had I a lot of people who will just, like, be like, oh, well, I didn't know that you guys, like, didn't have three meals a day, like, serve. <laughs> like, what? Welcome no. to it. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know that we stopped fun. at the uh, Bucky's gas station and the uh, Exxon for dinner the other night. It's like, oh, hey. Yeah. 4 a.m. We're going... <laughs> We're going, yeah, 2 a.m. stop. We're getting, we're getting pizza and a Musketeers bar. We're going right back to playing Super Smash Bros. on the bus for four more hours till we get home. And then we got to play tomorrow at yeah. 7 o'clock. Yeah, great. I, I, think, I think I do like the, like, human element, too, of it, of not, like, baseball players aren't, like, this, like, different type of person. They're, like, right. it's, it's, we all do the same stuff. And I think showing that to people is literally, like, some of the best content that MLB could be putting out. It's like the whole, like, you know how many people love their dogs? It's like, well, if you showed a big name guy and him, like, him and his dog, people would love that. Like, Couldn't it agree have, more. Like, content doesn't have to be difficult. Right. Like, yeah, MLB struggles with it. Just want to see, like, simple stuff. 
That's right. why I think what we like to do a good job is like look at the details, look at the underneath the surface stuff. Like, hey, yeah. you're just like doing everyday life. Like, I got to go to a grocery store. Like, yeah. I go vacation. Like, I do all this yeah, stuff. I just like what, I was like, yeah, I just train for you know, like my everyday work schedule is you know from eight yeah. to one. Like, it's a little different, but like I have a life outside of baseball. Like, I don't. Yeah. I, would, I I think it's a tough thing that like we always deal with is like everybody just looks at us. Oh, we're just baseball players. Like, no, I'm I'm Colin Palouse. Like, yeah. Um, I'm from Middletown, Delaware. Like, I have a family. I have a girlfriend. Like, I'm a normal person. Like, yeah. sometimes it's tough. But, well, I think the worst yeah, part about that people especially didn't understand, I think they're seeing more now, is, like, the financial side of it. It's like, yeah. oh, well, you're a probate. I'm like, no. Like, don't even no. know. Don't, I don't want to talk about it. Um, uh-uh. so, but even just, like, I remember having conversations with people about that through, like, YouTube or through comments. And they're like, oh, well, like, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think I had, um, I've had people like Venmo me, <laughs> like people that's they're like, oh, right, love, love the channel, like blah blah, and like it's like they're like realize you're making ten dollars a day, <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. but I think just like being again like in my mind, and this is like my stance in general around baseball and around I guess some of the other issues going on is like baseball is for everyone. That is what we're saying. Like this game is for, and that's what I believe. So how do we make it as inclusive as possible? Baseball is like, in my mind, shouldn't be just a rich kid sport because like club ball and because everything's expensive. Like it, if this is what we're actually wanting to like grow the game of baseball, then it needs to be an option for everyone. And so pretty much like, how do you, how do we kind of try to do that? And right now I kind of try to do that through YouTube and other stuff, but like it's all if I'm, ever able to be able to do that like a bigger scale it'd be great because that would be my goal it's like how do you give you know give equipment to kids who need it how do you make like you know it's the whole like giving guys on scholarships and stuff like that like that is you're directly affecting someone and i think uh baseball has had such a amazing impact on my life that i want that to be something that uh past my career like that's what i want to feel like i did the best in baseball i'm never going to be the best player on a team like i understand that like it's just it's simple. I mean, I'm never going to be a best player on a big league team. I remember I got dropped and I had a coach, one of my coaches from like college, and he was like, "Just so you know, you'll never be the best player on your team again." And I remember kind of laughing. I was like, "Damn, that is so true, though." <laughs> uh, but if you can end up leaving like impacting the game uh, in other ways, I think that that's kind of what my I guess goal around uh, end goal around baseball is. Is less about my own like career and pretty much how can I hopefully, um, I don't know, make it better for other people and in a way that it, it the game was better for me. Like uh, most of my best friends and like yeah, I met my wife through baseball. Like hey, it's given me a lot. So how do you give other people that opportunity to also kind of uh, be impacted by it in a beneficial way? That's insane. After your That's incredible. Ten-year league career, you're going to be the best coach this planet yeah. has ever seen with the mindset oh, yeah. you have. I don't know about you guys, but it's impressive. I don't know about yeah. the ten-year thing, like, but <laughs> ten, ten, get the pension. Let's go. There we go. Um, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's good. I'm excited for Saturday, and it'll be good to we'll have a follow-up on this at some point. But um, but I mean, it's even what you guys are doing by doing a podcast. It's like it's taking time out of your guys week. It's taking time. You're like, you're not getting paid for it. I'm assuming if you are, let me know how, um, <laughs> but it's like, we you were guys hoping taking, you'd offer that. <laughs> you guys are taking like time out of your week and energy and you guys bought equipment and 
your end goal is to hopefully make game baseball a little bit better or make somebody's career a little bit better or, you know, give like some of it too is like giving parents like a break, like, you know, having like resources that like kids can actually listen to. And um, I think that there's a lot of um, like not amazing content around baseball, but around anything. So having pretty authentic and like guys who want to hopefully leave it a little bit better. I think that it's like you guys are doing that right now by doing this podcast. So I appreciate you guys like for having me on for this. Cause that is like, uh, I think I'll always want to say yes to like hopefully growing the game and anybody wanting to do it in however their own way is, is pretty cool for me. So I love it. You, you page. always had, you always have a spot on this podcast whenever, <laughs> whenever we've, no we've loved to follow up at some point, obviously, you know, you got a ton of stuff going on, but you know, you're always welcome. I mean, you have, we just met today and, and you <laughs> definitely have fans from me and Dan, I can definitely say for certain, we're going to be rooting for you this weekend and, and moving forward. And we do hope you collect that 10 year, 10 year pension yeah. and, and everything that comes with that. And, and, you know, you just from our perspective, you are growing the game, you know, those videos, I, I had a lot of friends who reach out about the podcast. We have a lot of friends that listen to it. Like we are small at this point, mm-hmm. you know, we are hoping to grow it. We are hoping to do something similar to what you were saying with YouTube. We hope to, you know, help players, help coaches, yeah. help the, you know, we try to explain, I always describe our podcast as, you know, analyzing major league baseball through a player development scope. You know, every yeah. podcast you listen to is like, you know, this player did this, like, no, we want to dive, kind of pull that layer back yeah. and get that extra layer and try to translate it. So fans could know. And, you know, we had friends that were hitting us up and I was like, you guys should be real excited. Cause we got a couple of really good podcasts. And every time I said that the minor leaguer who did the vlogs, I'm like, ah, oh, I love that guy or like, whatever. <laughs> like, so you, you've done it, you know, you've done everything that, that, and more than you really owe anybody. So it's, it's a credit to the work you're putting in. And, and obviously you have a ton of fans on the field as well. And, and everybody's going to be rooting for you this weekend and, and rooting for you in the future as well. So, I mean, we appreciate that. No doubt. Yeah, good luck Absolutely. on Saturday, man. Throw it hard. Thank Throw you. it hard. Oh, yeah. Chuck it that's on Saturday. Throw it hard and strike. Let's go. That's, that's yeah. Plan. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I'll let you guys know how it goes. And um, but yeah, it'll be uh, just excited for it. Honestly, it's going to be fun. So perfect. That's awesome. Sweet. That's awesome. Well, to everybody who listened to this, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed listening to it. There were times where I just sat back and was just like, man, this is this is phenomenal content. So hopefully you guys are uh, subscribing, sharing and with five friends. It helps us grow the podcast any way we can. Um, you know, follow on all social channels. We're, we're working on TikTok. Dan's doing a good job on the on the Twitter page, all the things like that. Just we're just trying to grow it any way we can, you know, like like Aiden said, you know, make the game, leave the game better than, than we had it. So um, hopefully everybody enjoys this episode and until next time, we'll see you guys on the next podcast.